Welcome back to Brand Beats. My name is Andrew. Uh, my name is Erwin. My name is Russell. And Russell is a special guest that we have with us today. DJ Data. <laughs> DJ Russell. Data. DJ Data. Wait, give a give like a, a quick synopsis of yourself. Um, I am a math nerd who found his way into a creative field. Yeah, what about your ASL? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, can you bring it back mail, to messenger. Thirty-one, <laughs> New York City. Good. We didn't want any confusion around this shit. Yeah. Russell's actually one of our strategists here, and um, strategist slash data analyst. But uh, we noticed, like during the week, we had like a some interesting conversations around something we've talked about before, which is like uh, data and intuition. And Russell gave us like a quick sort of. Um, he actually did a quick presentation on this subject today, and it was like pretty eye-opening, so we thought it would be good to have a little bit of a conversation around some of the stuff that he brought up. And I think, um, yeah. what, what would you say is like a good way to kind of like give him a little like bridge into like, how could we start this off? Cause I, 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 I was acting rant out. real quick. Okay, go ahead, rant. <laughs> I was like, so yeah, a little bit of background. Russell and I, or Andrew and I, we always have these conversations and just discuss how data in general can or has kind of uh, watered down the world of design, right? Mm -hmm. This, this space, which was traditionally or traditionally relied on intuition and feeling and really trying to understand the emotions of a user, which happens in your like irrational brain. So it's actually hard to like quantify that, or it's hard to like measure those things. Um, and as marketers, as creatives, we recognize that that's how we sell to people. Right. But once we became more reliant on the world of digital and we were able to collect data, we started to then transition and try and quantify and try and put numbers to those emotions that we're trying to use to sell things to people. And what that's created is like this like weird sort of like area that to me isn't necessarily real truth, right? Because you cannot quantify and you cannot put numbers to emotion. You cannot put numbers to the things that are irrational yeah. because the data might be collected and then it's like, it's not necessarily taken into account everything. Anyway, so to say it's, <laughs> to me, it's very much watered down the world of design because it's created a lot of designers or it's forced a lot of designers to really think about data first and put design second. Yeah. I mean, art and design as it became a service. Mm hmm ultimately like entered it into a business realm and business expectations came on. I think one of the interesting things that you were talking about was like sort of some of the motivations why people, why businesses have come to so heavily rely on data. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a much better bridge. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but you gave me, I was you, just going down a rant. You laid me the, rant you laid the foundation. <laughs> Well, and, and yeah, you guys are giving me the opportunity to say I'm a self-hating analyst. Uh, there is so much love. Yeah, for talk yourself out of the job I, right now. Exactly. I like wish I could get more analysts fired. That's that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> because you're right, and 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 this something I struggle with is like data analytics is not a perfect science, and especially in the creative space, it's almost silly to pretend like it is, and mm. the industry is constantly trying to pretend like it is and um you know 
these are the conversations we always have is like how how can we do this in a realistic way without overdoing it and right now the industry is way in a stage of overdoing it and pretending like we can solve all of our problems if we just get the right data point and and i i find that exercise um foolish but there is there is there's right ways to do it and mm -hmm. i think you know that's why uh, i've been successful in my career is just being able to be you know based in math but uh respective of the the rest of the, the craft and and right now the industry is way unrespective of the rest of the craft and way too focused on the math totally yeah i think like and and it's funny when when you say stuff like that too if you think about other other instances where analysts have been like leveraged even like military right like in the military they'll say hey we have like a certain percent confidence that this solution that we're coming that confidence we're deriving. intervals yes like oh yeah you use the fucking words that yeah. uh, you have the, <laughs> you have the degree. confidence intervals like there's only a certain percent certainty that you can have that whatever hypothesis that you're reading from mm -hmm. this data can be and i think that there is a lack thereof of that like in our space right now people are like oh yeah best practice is a guarantee that this yeah. is gonna work for us yeah i think one of the other culprits of that is sports because like wow. there's like baseball, uh, you know, analysis that's like you know made that whole sport change the way they function. But like I always watch like you know top tens of I, I played soccer, so like soccer to me is like the the one that makes the most sense. And they they show top ten and they show some dude getting a bicycle kick and scoring this like amazing goal. And they're like, what skill he has? How what a perfect you know uh, execution that was? And I'm like, you didn't show the 98 times where he failed at doing that. Yeah, right. Like the one time he did it right is not exemplary of all the times that he missed the goal by 30 feet to the yeah. right. Yeah. So like that's where it's like when you do too much data you or you 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 uh, value those things too much you're almost like you become myopic. Yeah, and you forget yeah. about the value in failure and yeah. like that failure is part of the process. You want to just skip the failure part when you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like that's that is part of the process. Totally. I think the, the other problem with like data sometimes is it's used, you use some words, like you said, it's lazy thinking, right? And people cherry pick and in order to not be challenged, but you can take the same piece of data, like something else you were talking about earlier, which was like bounce rates, right? Um, and you were saying, hey, a bounce rate is a nice indication of like something may be wrong with this page. But like, it's also very interesting to me is like, you could probably come up with like, 10 potential explanations of why the bounce rate's high. Absolutely. Maybe your page is designed bad. Maybe the marketing mm -hmm. fucking link was misleading yeah. that led you there. Mm -hmm. You know? There's every data point. And, and, you know, that's the fun of it to me, but it, it is to, to say, go to another strategy partner or go to a creative partner and say, you know, I found these like six data points that I think are interesting. They, they perked my interest, but I don't know how to explain them. Can we like workshop an explanation for them? And, and there's there's too little of that right now is like if bounce rates are bad the page is bad if yeah. load times are bad the page is bad and I, you know we did this you know with one of our clients mm -hmm. where they were like you know we can't do that execution because it's going to add 0 .01 seconds to load time and I was like can anyone count 0 .01 seconds <laughs> like is that the thing that's going to make me bounce like but they were convinced that like if we do this really great idea and we affect load times that minuscule amount it's going to have a negative impact rather than realizing like, no, but this is a good creative solution. And you know what? The cost of that solution is 0 0.01 seconds. That's 0 0.01 seconds well spent, which is a ludicrous amount of time. Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point because what ends up happening too with the 
reliance on data and reliance on metrics is people basically take sound bites yeah. from what they've heard, whether it was like mobile first or it was um, bounce rates. We've also heard like the number of clicks, mm-hmm. right? And that's another one where we've experienced that on multiple projects where it's like somebody wanted to reduce the number of clicks, but in order to reduce the number of clicks, it ended up getting people to click more because you click into something but then you end up clicking back because they weren't able to actually like analyze what they were clicking into before they got there. Mm. So on the surface, it totally reduced the number of clicks to get to like X destination, but that destination wasn't what they wanted. So if you put more information, which would be more clicks up front, then the destination they get would more would be more likely to actually be the converting yeah, destination. Yeah. Totally. And so like how do you then test that? Right? Like how do you prove like, okay, it's actually gonna be better to have more clicks. Yeah. And like begin to look at intentional clicks or like what's the value in each click as opposed to just like these broad sort of strokes that don't have any like weight beneath them or weight behind them, which is just like the yeah. number of clicks to get somewhere. But like, and that's the thing is like people want data, data is used in order to simplify, right? Like at the end of the day, the way we want to use it is to simplify, yet there is an insane amount of nuance that you need to be considerate of in order to like, at least make a well-informed decision with a certain amount of confidence. Yeah. But in a creative space, I would argue that the create, the confidence interval in most instances, I'm like at. 51, 49. I'm yeah. like, you know what? Like I, I mean, there are times where I'm looking at a graph and it's like the difference between 52 and 56. And I'm like, I mean, I guess that's a difference. Right. It's not like black and white though. It's very rarely black and white. Um, and what you said before about cherry picking though, like that happens so much too. And like we had a client who there was a graphic that she loved to call upon and she would say 26% of people believe X. And she took that as gospel. Mm-hmm. And when I actually found the source of that data, it was actually the fifth, it was the least popular answer of the five answers. There was something that was like 70%, 60%, 50%, but those didn't help with her narrative. Yeah. So she used to pick the 26% one. And I was like, but that's the worst one to be picking, but like it helped your narrative. So you did. Yeah. That's how, but that's crazy. I mean, that's a, it's such an interesting point is like in our industry, I, I would argue that that's happens more than anything else. Yeah. People just want the piece of data that supports their thought process because there is so much data out there that you can interpret some other piece of data to be, to mean the complete opposite or the same piece of data. If you look at it the right way, <laughs> the, the, the comedy in that yeah. we talked about this earlier is that as marketers, as creatives, we actually all understand that people are making irrational decisions and that's actually what we're trying to get at. Yeah. But in order to sell it into our partners, because we've heard data is so important, we have internally begun to go against all of our yeah. <laughs> all of our knowledge that all we have about how people react to things irrationally. <laughs> and so then we use data to sell things to one another. Mm. Like that's actually what's happening in our industry. We're basically using data to sell things, to cherry pick, to say like, I have a hypothesis about like, and I have a feeling that this is gonna work. Yeah. Let me find the data points that are gonna help my colleagues hmm. buy in. So is it truly about the user? Which we all say it is. Like that's something that's to be questioned. It's like, about your own ego. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like data has helped us like support our own ego in our arguments and in our selling, which has made us worse salesmen, but like, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's always truly about the user because even with data, to me, it actually, it 
it doesn't necessarily truly simplify things. It gives you opportunities and things and areas to explore. But within those areas, it's so nuanced. It's help, yeah, it right. helps narrow down the areas to explore, but it doesn't say, like it, you're saying, it's not black or white. It doesn't give you the answer. Yeah. Pattern recognition, 100%. Yeah. It's, um, and, but it's pattern recognition with a, an eye to how is this pattern potentially misleading. Right. I think there's there's too many people who take it at face value when it's the thing they want, when it satisfies their ego, they take it at face value. And you know, I'm the first person to be like, go check the source data. Like mm -hmm. the way they asked that question was actually super misleading or the results that the person or the uh, choices that the person had were super misleading. So a lot of times I read a graph and I say I'm not using that because I don't I don't buy into the way that they got that data point. Yeah. But not 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 a lot of people will do that. Yeah. But that's weird to me, like, right? Like, raw data is loaded with, like, a perspective bias. Mm. How are you thinking about this? Yeah. What are you considering? And that will lean into what you read from this data. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and so somebody who just, when we pop in, frankly, like, when we pop in and we look at Google Analytics, like, okay, we're looking at it from, like, probably a lean on, like, a little bit of benchmark, a lean on, like, just face value, Versus somebody who's considering, let's say, somebody in-house on their end who their marketing manager is like thinking about it like, oh, I have a whole other perspective from what we were doing from a marketing perspective at this moment that could explain so many more of these things. Yeah. And when we you come in with a myopic perspective on things, you're like, yeah, I'm going to read out things and you're going to look at it in here and be like, that sounds warranted. But what's, what's funny about that, too, is like it's still birthed from a place of these one-dimensional viewpoints of yeah. how things function. Like the marketing manager's like, oh, we ran extra ads that month. So like that explains it. It's like, does it? Like that might have affected it, but like you don't know if it affected it 100% yeah. or affected it 3% of the way. And so it's the, the ability for people to rationalize like their own impact in the data is it's high. is high. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like the reality is, we function in larger ecosystems than one brand. Yes. Yeah. Like, but brands I, don't see that yeah. about themselves, yeah. and they only see what am I doing? And that's why I read that tweet earlier. That was like, uh, it's amazing. A shopper, a, a consumer <laughs> abandoned a shopping cart for no fucking reason. Like, there, you can't. There's not a reason. There's almost never a reason. And we try our best to ascribe reasons or thoughts or maybe the design was a flaw, or maybe the marketing was a flaw, but like at least half the time, it's just, you know, my dog needed to go for a walk, so I walked away from my computer. Crazy. Yeah, I was like, I don't know how many times I've put things in my cart and then fallen asleep. I know. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm literally oh, like in my bed just like shopping, and I really you. want that shit. But then I just like go to fuck to sleep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or you yeah, see right. something on Instagram, and you click yeah. on, you're like, I want that, but then you... Forget about it. And yeah. it's just over. And it has nothing to do with a way that they no. failed me. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with like me being a human who has a hundred things in my brain and like this was just one of them that disappeared in my brain. Yeah, they quickly fall apart when you start to like get to the personal level of things. Yeah. Like the pers like the scenario explanation of like what could have happened right. to a lot of these people. I mean, and and then if you think about things that could have sweepingly happened across the nation, like, oh shit. 
Trump did this and people were scared about their fucking yeah. their their finances. Like, yeah, probably every brand in the world saw a downtick. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we happened to launch this campaign that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Like, or just like I got one of those CNN notifications like right in the yeah. middle of me doing something. Yeah. And then I went to CNN and then I was gone for 30 minutes and like now that's viewed as a session end. When it wasn't, it was just like I got distracted. There was something, something else. more important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. happening in life. Like, do you do you ever give? What I think is like really interesting perspective that you were like talking to the team about today is like just how to have a sober observation mm. of like what data can provide and can't provide. Like, do you ever give that to clients before you do your work? And like that's that's sort of inflicting some self harm. You're like, hey. I'm only this valuable. <laughs> I, I like the idea. I haven't really done something like that. The, the only way I do do it, I was just joking with uh, somebody about it, was like, I'm a big fan of self-deprecation and just mm-hmm. like undercut it a little bit and just sort of get them to be like, okay, he knows what he's talking about enough that we trust him, but he also isn't trying to sell us gospel. And right. I think I think the the industry has a lot of like, this is preachy and I try very hard to be not quite preaching. Like just like, you know, I saw this and it's interesting and I'll often include an example where I like, there was an example in today's talk where I was like, I don't actually have an interpretation of this. I just thought it was interesting and I wanted you guys to see it. Right. And so I just try and find little ways to not feel like I'm preaching um, to to sort of set that tone. But I, I would like to just be like off rip. Yeah. Just so you guys know, the confidence interval on this stuff is shit. The yeah. you know, the, like the value of this is only so much. We we tested twelve people. That's so that that segues me into another thing that I think is so weird in the industry now. We'll have a project. What thirty professionals are attached to the project? Thirty people in this industry, UX and UI and design professionals are attached to the project. But they, the client, won't move until I run a test that asks 30 random strangers <laughs> what they think. Yeah. Why don't we just all look at each other for our professional experiences and trust each other are going to come to the right conclusion rather than Joan from Ohio yeah. who like, you know, is 45 and is doing this for $7 an hour. Like yeah. why why we are all much more valuable so brains true. in this space than those thirty weirdos. The collective intuition on peop of people who <laughs> No, it's so true those, though. Like those the collective 30, intuition 30 weirdos, they're not worth anything. <laughs> well, I mean, look, they, they make this argument all the time about yeah. political surveys. Like who the fuck is picking up their phone? Yep. Saying, Yeah, definitely, I have time to oh, talk yeah. to you about Did this. You, there was like there was literally like a podcast that just broke down that. Stuff, really? That like talked about how that stuff is not necessarily making any or it doesn't necessarily make any sense how could and that be a like representation have, of the at, people the, you know? at the end of the day you have to almost like fudge the numbers to make up for the lack of people who actually pick up and you yeah. know what's even worse about those they always say it at the bottom of the screen but nobody points to it they usually have like a plus or minus five percent on them so mm-hmm. they'll be like you know bernie sanders just overtook somebody now it's 13 percent to 11 percent Plus or minus five percent, right? So it's like <laughs> yeah, that means like, af- both of them could be at six percent. Both of them could be at twenty <laughs> percent. Yeah. We don't have any actual clue. Like so, yeah, yeah. But I think I think that's the that's the conversation that needs to happen in our industry. It's just that like when it comes to business, that sort of confidence is what every business always wants, right? So there's a massive desire there, but. I mean, all you're really saying, like what you said in your presentation, was like, "Yo, I don't want to bullshit you." There's only a certain amount of confidence I can have in what I'm saying. 
I mean, and, and a simple way of like making that illustration is like the bounce rate example you had. Like I can come up with 12 illustrations of why this might be this stat. So you can't look at this stat and just because I give you one explanation, accept that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we also, it, it requires a ton of due diligence by us all. And I think that's where the testing comes in is like a well-designed test should give you something that should inform your intuition as you were saying. Before. Yeah, and, and testing is another one where too many people think it's a matter of just asking questions. And, you know, I do have the, fortunately I had an experience in survey research firm and you just, there's an entire science dedicated to how do you ask a question? What question should follow that? Making sure that each question doesn't preclude the answer to the next question. So you're not leading the witness. Um, So it's, it's incredibly carefully crafted when you do it right. And, you know, and it, and it, but it still can be irrational. Like I did a survey for time that was, we had done it for 20 or 30 years and we wanted to make a change to one question out of like 70 questions. And we literally changed like a the to a there. And like, it was like, we changed like three innocuous words in the question and we saw a 12 point change in the results. And it was just like how that, that's how silly these surveys can be is like, if you just change the phrasing of the same question, you can get a 12 percentage change in the results. Yeah. Um, so these things are super, super fickle yeah. and fragile. And they, they, you can't treat them like they aren't. And, and so that's why I talked about in the, uh, today was just like, it's not physics. Like physics yeah. is repeatable science. Every time you drop a quarter, it falls at the same rate. Every time you, you, know, you throw an airplane through the air, it has the same kind of wind resistance as any other time you do it. But this stuff is, you know, if I had a bad day, your ad is stupid. If I had a good day, your ad is funny. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Let me ask you this. I have two weird questions, and I might forget the second one, but I'm going to ask you the first <laughs> one. What do you think is, like, the the most reliable form of testing where you're like, okay, that data is, like, super I – can, I can pretty much draw straight from it. Um, you talked about a few different forms today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I – think it depends on the kind of answer you're trying to get to and the mm. questions you're asking. I think, I think behavior tracking is the best though. And that, mm. and that's what I think is um, relatively new in the digital realm is when you can actually view scroll patterns, you can mm. actually view clicks and you can see very literally everyone's scrolling right past that. And it's funny cause like you'll do a user testing example where you actually are interviewing people and you'll ask them like, did you notice that? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely but then you actually watch them just scroll right past scroll it right and past they never it. even saw it. So right. that's where I think it's the most accurate, yeah. but still to your point earlier, the interpretation of it is still completely, you know, up to your interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the, you know, the how and the why and the, what do we do to change it is, is still not there in the data. Right. Cause I've always felt like, and, and to that point, it's like ABC testing, which is like that, that fourth category you're talking about. Like, it's probably the best when you test stuff out in the wild because it's in mass and people don't know they're being tested. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're actually just yeah. watching behavior. Yep. Like what do people do in this scenario versus what do people do in that scenario? Yeah, but unfortunately that requires a huge investment, a ton of time, and a client who's willing to bifurcate their website into two different experiences or bifurcate some element of their website into two different experiences, which you know, as much as they say they want data-driven decision-making, they're not willing to make data-driven uh, sacrifices. Yeah. I used to, when I work in marketing clients, like I used to always, 
I always get talk about marketing. They would say, okay, which let's A/B test these two ads and let's see which one does better. And say, well, first of all, if you want to do that properly, you have to have to first set a control, which yeah. is a black screen. Mm-hmm. How do people respond to a black screen? <laughs> and then build up from that. And they'd be like, no, I just want to test like how does this do versus that. I'm like, well, there's actually no there's no visible difference between A and B in this situation. So what you're getting is just going to be a random result. If you want to do this properly, you have to really make a data sacrifice and say, we're going to make a bad ad and a good ad or you know, a, ba- mm-hmm. a, a good ad that has a bad element and a good ad that we think has a good element. Like You have to actually do that. But they're always like, no, no, we want to put our best foot forward on everything. We just want to see which foot did better. And it's like, that's not always going to mm-hmm. work that way. It's just like they both did well. One did a little bit better, but like mm. that's that's not really a fair thing to say necessarily. Crazy. Something that happened to me about a year ago uh, was working with a client, and I was talking with their copywriting team, and they had been leveraging AI to actually do their copywriting. Now this is like insane, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like AI is going is purely going to do everything off of data with yeah. no nuanced consideration, but. They also told me that AI won every time against their copywriters, which I was like, wow, weirdly effective. Um, I don't know. like that. It, 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 it's like a weird conversation point for me because I was like, maybe in mass, small, if you make small, minute changes to things, it's more, it's, it's more yeah. usable. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the way I would you know, push that back on them is essentially especially in advertising like copy matters less and less because mm-hmm. people don't read they're super especially visual today, yeah. so like if ai can make imagery i'd be a little more interested in those results but like the difference between like hey check this out and hey click now yeah okay i mean you know and how much did it totally. win by did it win by 0.01% or sure. did it win yeah. by 12% by 50% I don't know. I just I noticed a, a room. It was like their copywriting lead was like sad when they told me. They <laughs> I'm like, sure he was. Yeah, he's beating us. <laughs> I think the but the the point you just said though, like when you set up a test, a single word can make such a big difference in the result. And I think when it comes to things like copy, AI probably has more of a scaffolding to make like less slippery decisions on versus like something like. They're not easy as easily able to figure out why would this image work versus that image. When you say, why does this sentence work versus that sentence, it's really easy to segment and and pull out the... Yeah, but something that Irwin will always talk about is, you know, okay, what's your definition of winning? Mm-hmm. So it, it won because it drove more clicks. clicks. Right. But does that mean it drove more conversions? Does that mean right. it drove better brand affinity? Does it mean that the message was more clearly communicated to the person reading it? Totally. Or does it just mean you put click now in, in front of stuff and people are going to click now? Yeah. So like, By what measure, essentially? Yeah. And, and to what end? Yeah. That's exactly. the other thing. Is like If the end is the data point, that's not the right end when we're dealing in creative brands and 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 trying to make advocacy and change behavior and get you to purchase and get you to advocate on a brand's behalf like you know it's really easy sometimes to get a one percent change but you didn't you might also lose nine percent on the back end in some other metric right yeah it's a delicate balance but it's it's also like it comes back to it's it's a creative field at the end of the day It, it can't you can't get a robot to do this stuff 100%. It's it's 
it's never going to happen. I mean, I, I can talk about AI and just like how yeah. you, to, we are not actually doing AI yet. A, AI is, has a very high standard and it is at a point where which a robot can make new decisions based on no stimuli. And AI currently is only based on, we wrote a formula, the computer ran a bunch of different iterations and spit out the best result. You have to put that input in still. And AI is supposed to be, you don't have to put an input in. A robot is walking around and just saying, here's a good line of copy for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it's not like that. It's, yeah. it's never, it, and we're not even, like that honestly is, they still don't know if they're going to be able to bridge that gap because it, it's still 100% based on right. stimulus input first. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah, it's, um, that is you, something you just like actually touched on that's just like super interesting though is like our level of measurement never really takes into consideration the potential costs of things on the back end you know like we always go we get really myopic with what data point are we looking for in this moment versus like what's our ultimate kpi Mm -hmm. and we never really compare those things you know like because you start thinking about design of this modal and does this, okay, what's the goal in this modal, which is, yeah, you click through, great. But what percentage of those people didn't convert after that point? Um, and maybe what's that's... the sacrifice? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I, I really like the, the I'm going to make a slide that's going to be data like solution versus data sacrifice or something <laughs> like that. Because it is, yeah. it, there are losses, there are benefits, mm-hmm. as you know, you know, oldest rule of science is like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. And, and there's this notion right now that like, no, 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 if we get 1% gains and we keep getting 1% gains, we'll be awesome. And it's, it, it's just not reality. You have, you, there has to be a, a, an effect that is maybe not negative, but at least there is another side of that. Totally. That's dragging you backwards in some capacity. Yeah. But all that said negatively about data, there are some good things. a lot of good things there's some good things i mean i think it can help and that's what the talk was about is just like done correctly done without being too prescriptive without trying to solve the world's problem but just trying to be a part of the creative process it can help drive creative thinking but it 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 has to be in that mindset of iterating and and trying and changing and not in the mindset of I just figured out how to fly to the moon and this is the only way to fly to the moon. It has to be, you know what? I see this in the data. Why don't you guys try and design that? Okay, cool. You came up with three designs. Let me go test and see which ones people are responding to. It looks like they really didn't like this one, but they kind of liked these two. Let's figure out a way to combine some of the elements of these two and make two new ones. And let's, you know, let's then make two new ones, try those out. And it has to be a give and take and back and forth in this space where, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same in physics too. Like I, been to you know the NASA facilities where they have hundreds of weird spaceships that they made and tried to fly like they literally just threw these things out of airplanes and we're like what is what happens when you throw this weird shaped thing out of an airplane and measured like what are the results of the wind resistance on it and how does it fly does it fly straight is it controllable does it vibrate all these things and like failure is a part of of, of success in, in their mindset and, and right now in creative it's it's not always given that chance yeah Actually, that's a really good point. So something I was just listening to, um, like Pharrell was on a podcast and he was talking about the digitization of music and the creation of music. 
and how when he was coming up, there was real instrumentation, which then allowed for more experimentation because there was the failure, which then would like allow you to stumble on things that you would never have heard or like mm-hmm. thought would sound good. And then that created new sounds. Whereas now, if a producer has an idea, they can input some things into a machine. The machine will course correct and correct all of the sounds to create something that sounds perfect at the end of the day. So then you lose that opportunity for exploration. You lose that opportunity for failure. You lose that opportunity to create something that's new. refreshingly new. Yeah. Which is like, for me, a problem within the world of design. Like we're we're sort of losing this opportunity to create things that are refreshingly new because we're so reliant on data. Best practice. Best practices. We're yeah. so reliant on that stuff. And it takes it takes the it takes the but, joy out, but and it's also this idea that the, the the best process has nuance. The world we live in is nuanced. Uh, People are not one dimensional. Process shouldn't be one dimensional. It should have the conversation that we had two years ago on our first season of this, there needs to be a nice mix of intuition yeah, and the data. Like that's how you create the best experiences for people. Do, do you see though, like the way that our industry is using data to me, it's like anti-scientific, like the whole, oh, yeah. the whole thing. It's like, you're supposed to prove it wrong. You're <laughs> supposed to roll the dice some different ways, a million different ways to try and prove everything wrong forever. And the way that we all do this in the business world is now nah, don't ever try to prove that wrong. That's working. Like, yeah. Yeah. Keep doing that. A hundred percent. I do another talk where I, I literally pull up and hopefully you all remember like the scientific method. Yeah. You learned it in like fourth grade. It's like this six is the steps. acronym, right? Yeah. Acronym? And like, like the six steps of like have a hypothesis, collect data, figure out a test, perform the test, review the results, have a new hypothesis basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and how that is inherently how science gets done is you, you don't do, you don't go into science and just get things right. You have to get them wrong a lot of the time. Um, I do another talk about how like in reporting, reporting is where it gets really dicey for analytics because they ask you every week, give us the new data. Okay, that's fine. But then they'll say every week, give us a new insight. I'm like, what do you mean? Like nothing changed over the last <laughs> week. Like I, how am I supposed to give you a new original <laughs> thought every week given the same data points? And yeah. I, I do a joke about like, if you told um, if you told Einstein to make a new discovery every week, he'd be like, "Get the hell out of here!" Like that's just right. not how the how any of this works. And it's the same with creative. Like you can't have an original idea every week on command. You need yeah. time to ruminate for things to shift and and yeah. come together. But you know, in the in the culture of the business world, like we have to present ideas every week. We have to you know do all these things that that prevent that ability. Yeah, I mean, and we live in this world too, like culture that like to the point you were making earlier, it's like there's so much nuance to it because people are making r- irrational, emotional decisions at the end of the day. Like when you come down, like you don't know what the hell is really going on in their head in that <laughs> yeah. moment or situationally, environmentally. And well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like we want to explain everything in the most simple of methods, but mm-hmm. it's there's so much nuance to everything and every decision that we make, when you really get down to the nitty gritty, the problem is whatever you... S- surmise from the data go ahead and take that to a real life situation ask somebody if that's the reason i 99 of the time it's probably gonna be no. no yeah you know like you're looking we're talking about trying to apply pattern to ration 
like, yeah. you, like to irrational. To the, to the, we yeah. say we, we confuse correlation and causation constantly, mm-hmm. yeah. especially with this shit. And I'm just like, and then we we just make leaps, right? But but the artistic side of what we do is is actually very scientific in nature. You're supposed to once everything's like good, once you go like, hey, that worked. Like, that's great. Like, what we want to do in the business world is like, yeah, just do that because it worked. But realistically, the scientific method of it is very artistic. It's like, well, try something new. See if it works better. Right. Yeah. And that people aren't willing to do that. Yeah. Like, people aren't willing to make that leap of, like, try something new because it might be better. But ultimately, that is what we as human beings crave in terms of, like, that's what we actually want next. I want a new thing. Also, to get on another little rant. I feel like data has been used to make a lot of really shitty designers and bad artists. Yeah. Because the reality is great artists throughout history have been connecting with people emotionally, which is why they're great artists without data. Yeah. So there's something about artists where there is this inherent ability to observe, see, and then visually articulate what they felt, Mm -hmm. create that feeling in another way. Yeah. Like, so they, they're like sitting there and like observing the world around them and they feel something. They're like, ooh, I want to articulate this feeling. I can't write or I can't do this. I can't do this. So I'm going to visually articulate the things that are inside of me yeah. so other people can feel that same way. So how right. do we call out like all those lazy designers as posers? That's, like, how. that's what you're saying. It's, yeah. it, they're posers. They're just like taking someone else's art form and rinse and repeating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, dribble. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this, is, this is the rant, but yeah. I feel like that's the reality. Like, design is not art, but there is an art in design, right? Like, the art in design is the artist, the individual who is able to synthesize culture, who is able to feel something and then try and recreate that feeling visually. Yeah. Right? And when you're working with a client, it's about observing the audience. What are they doing? What are they feeling? Doing your research, understanding their journey from point A to point B or whenever they make that purchase of the product, really understanding what they're doing to get to there and then trying to visually articulate that. So there is data within that, but it's not completely just reliant on the data to make all of the decisions. It's about, it's about the feeling that is behind that data. Right. The feeling is actually what you're trying to uncover. You're not really trying to uncover data. And just yeah. numbers for numbers sake, you're trying to uncover the feeling but, that leads to those Yeah, no one designed decisions. anything great because they heard 13% of people feel joy. But that's, yeah. that's, that's the that's problem, it. though, is like when you take it to a business case, more often than not, they're metric or results-driven versus value-driven. Now, if they were a value-driven company, you see these things happen all the time. Like, okay, even though this may be a loser, statistically... We're gonna be mm-hmm. we're gonna go value driven and be like this is kind of what we believe. And let's but it's like you that. know, like with Nike, yeah, there is no data or metrics that would have been like, hey yo, put Colin Kaepernick in that ad. Yeah, <laughs> there's no, no sure. data that would have said that that was the right decision. Although I feel like they probably did find some data that way. They're probably like, yo, even if this is a loser, well, like we're going to get some. They coverage. probably were like, our audience is mostly the people who support this. But they got Colin Kaepernick on uh, yeah. 8 million a year. And this this just, is true. They still <laughs> took a massive leap but it's of a faith risk. to do it. They no, no, no. no. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it was a stance based on value that yeah. was worth it to them, probably. Yeah. yeah. From a, you know, I think that 
even it's, they it, probably oh, calculated oh, yeah, that I, there, I there could have been a cost you're, you're here, but is it how high could you're it be? almost when data is used in those cases because they already know who their audience is, they understand them. So they can basically say like our audience, if we look at the numbers and if we look at the data, yeah. our audience are people who support yes. what oh, he's standing oh. for. Exactly. So therefore the data is exactly. more so Exactly. It's there to confirm a feeling, yeah. but it's not just there. Yeah. It's not just like loose data. Because I feel like, again, I just imagine like you're saying just 13% of Rome around the office is like, I'm 13%. Yeah. I'm 13%. Make decisions. That's that's not how you, you can't yeah. make actual decisions that are going to have impact in the long term on your business yeah. based on just percentages and just numbers. It and has to be things that are uncovering what we what we used to do with advertising totally it has to be things that are uncovering feelings i, I don't want to take anything away from nike too like that like you everything did. that they did no 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 no. at the to, same time it's like the same thing they tried to shit on nike no no they stood they <laughs> they put it they put a fucking they might find me they get a i'm wearing a dealer shit right now it's <laughs> <laughs> okay i wear both brands like come on guys i'm not mutually <laughs> exclusive um they they did put a they they put a flag in the sand like so to speak and they stood up for something and they they aligned with those values. I am probably a little bit cynical because when I see a company gets to that size, I think that they are ultimately like they have to be considerate of the oh, implications yeah. of their decisions. So I I always assume that they make those considerations. Well, but yeah. to that point, then like to the point we made earlier about how you can look at any data point from both sides. Like I could have just as easily pulled up data points that said if you do this. It's a bad idea because this large a population of people won't oh, yeah. like it. Exactly. Just as easily as you can pull up a population that says this, they will support it. And, yes. and again, data sacrifice. They were like, "I'm willing to sacrifice that totally. in order to win here." Yes. And and so it is. It's, they probably it's, looked at the benefits and the risk. But again, it's it's the idea of nuance. It's the, the idea of usage. you need to have both sides. They totally. have they have values. They know what they stood for. So then they can afford to look at the data yeah. from a narrow perspective yeah and at it the end of the day they decided to fucking roll the dice and, and do it, was it. Dope. they rolled the dice and they did it and it came out to what it was and it ultimately turned out in their favor even though there was like bad press and good press but it, they, they won the awards but you that, that's <laughs> they, exactly what i mean though they like, increased sales they were willing to do something that anybody yeah. probably and i'm sure there was a ton of people in that room that walked in and said look this is a bad idea because this could be this 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 could happen and they decided to roll the dice anyways to try and set a new standard for what you could say or do and it proved to be fine so it's just like i mean at, at the end of the day it's like roll the fucking dice even if the data tells you but that's and art. I was like also that's like, art yeah. you only roll the dice in art you don't roll the dice if you're an accountant yes, yes. And, and like, <laughs> that's what's wrong right now is like there's too many accountants in the room being like what if this happens what if that happens yeah. and that's not that's that's for go talk to the the manufacturing plant yeah. about like the risks associated with like moving production from uh, China back to America or go talk right. to you know the other departments but like the the creative department you shouldn't be talking to us that much yeah but but you but talking to us right like you want yeah. the accountant you want the strategist you want the insight person in the room to at least hear yeah. that like yeah. you yeah. want the information yeah yeah you yeah. know you want to make but, an informed decision but yes they are one part of the decision and right now they're yes. often like 50 mm percent -hmm. of the decision exactly like, <laughs> the lean is like yeah we want 900 of you in this room right right <laughs> <laughs> all right in wrapping this up i think the reality is us as creative is beginning to understand 
and also just come to terms with the fact that we are ourselves irrational and we are creating things for irrational people. And so in order to do that, we need to basically have both sides of, mm-hmm. of the coin. We can't just have the data and just wholly rely on data, but we also can't just have the intuition. The data provides us with this amazing breadth of like new possibilities because we can now narrow in and understand very specific things. But in order in doing that, we can't forget the intuition. You almost have to bring the intuition along mm-hmm. as you dig through the data. Mm-hmm. So you begin to uncover new things. You begin to like hit new things and like un- see new ideas. Because right now, again, it seems like we're completely, even though as marketers, as designers, as creatives in the creative space, we know people make decisions irrationally. We know color theory. We know design theory. We know how all of these things work. We still are trying to figure out some way to create rational consumers Hmm. and force people to be rational when that is not what happens. You got to take the power back, but accept that there's going to be a me somewhere in the room mm-hmm. and how yeah. to talk to me and how to, how to get things from me. But like, it's, you have to take the power back as far as, you know, we are the arbiters of what this needs to look like mm-hmm. aesthetically. Right. We just got to imbalance, right? Yeah. Like you just, there's, there's a seat at the table for data to be there and be a, a part of the conversation and inform what you do. But the balance is, is leaning at the moment towards like that person's dominating the room. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. It was almost like we had this yeah. whole like argument like years ago about how design needs to seat at the table. Yeah. But it's almost like design has just become data. Yeah. <laughs> like in order to get a seat at the table, we had to get rid of who we are yeah. as yeah. creatives in order yeah. to be respected at exactly. a table. Exactly. Because it is hard to understand and it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Color with theory. business value, like when you say color theory, that sounds like a joke. Yeah. yeah. Like when you say like typography and grid structure and how grids actually help people kerning. understand things mm-hmm. and kerning. And like if you have a little bit of white space here, it gives you mm-hmm. like a breathing room for the eye. Like that stuff sounds like a joke. An accountant does not yeah. fall for that. Well, and people. No. And, but it's like we had to then change and shift. And it's gotten us away from the thing that has actually truly made creatives valuable which is that like artistic intuition and being able to recreate a feeling. When you look at a website that is really well designed, when you look at a poster Mm -hmm. that's really well designed, an individual doesn't see the color theory, an individual doesn't even really see the shapes. They see and they get the feeling. They get something that's like overarching, like where there's posters on the wall in the room that we're sitting in. I see this, I don't see the typefaces necessarily, I just see like, the yellow, the red, everything together, just mixing and like creating this feeling and emotion and I'm drawn to it. Yeah. And that's what we're hired to create. That's hard to, that's hard to like say based on data that that's going to work. Well, and and you're like, you're, you're making me think of something that has to go on another ramp, but it's like at the end of the day, data became the currency with which we, communicated to people who didn't understand the language we were speaking. Yeah. So when we're talking about what you're saying, you can intuit and what you can speak to from an artistic perspective, I can use data to communicate with the business person at the other end of the table to go, here's what that means to you because you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about in a weird way. Yeah, and I'm saying we should understand it so that we can explain it, but for some reason we went all the way in and lost design. Yeah. 
totally. core data. Totally. Like, if you understand design and you can design and then you know the data to back it up, great. Mm-hmm. That's just selling your idea. Yeah. But there's been so many creatives and designers who just were like, I'll just lean on data. Mm-hmm. Fuck design. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just put big buttons here and do this here and this here and like build a whole like system that AI can do. Yeah. Like there's a lot of systems that can basically produce the same stuff that a lot of designers are producing right now because it is just based on I saw something, I produce it. So I have an input, I regurgitate that input. Mm-hmm over and over and over again as opposed to creating something that actually creates a feeling yeah and again that's very like art schooly or whatever but like it's to true. me that's that's what i'm missing about the world of design yeah is this like this feeling this emotion this like progressiveness yeah that you used to see a lot of in like the world of design mm-hmm. but you don't see it as much now because people have become so reliant on like the standards the best practices the this, the this, the this. Not realizing realizing that a lot of that stuff is just set by somebody who decided to take a risk. Yeah. Like we talked about this with Apple. Like the the whole swipe down to get more, mm-hmm. that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Until Apple decided it was gonna be a thing and they're yeah. just like, We're gonna do it. Yeah. And then it's learned intuition. Exactly. Where it's le- like people learned how to use it, therefore it became standard, yeah. it became best practice. Now everybody does it. Yeah. And that to me is what happens when you take risks and when you create things based on feeling. Oh my God. Yeah. When you go based on feeling, you're actually creating something new. Mm-hmm. And then the data again allows you to see these new areas to explore and play in and swim in. Yeah. But the intuition is what like those two things together is what gets you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Is there any uh Don't devalue it, that yeah. new new. That new that, new though. Don't devalue that new new um, for that old old. Any good reading, <laughs> any good takeaways for any for for whoever heard this to have. I got some. Oh, okay. I, I tossed out the question that I'm gonna answer. <laughs> Teed up. Hold on, uh, any uh, any good uh, takeaways uh, <laughs> or suggestions? Uh, Erwin, so, your thoughts. So, some some really good books because Data in general has affected pretty much every industry. It's affected how uh, companies just run in general because they chase metrics as opposed to, and it can devalue the work or devalue people actually chasing really good work. So there's an amazing book called Tyranny of Metrics. Um, It's really good. There's also a really good book uh, called Weapons of Math Destruction. There's another good book called um, Algorithms of Oppression. Algorithms of Oppression and then Misbehaving. Man, these are all sound dramatic. Talks about behavioral (laughs) economics. The one that I love that you're going to love is is called Predictably Irrational. Yeah, I'm about to buy that. And it's all about the notion that like people think they're rational. They think they go through their day rationally, but they do highly irrational things all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. But what's actually funny is if you think about it the right way and you test it the right way, you can actually predict those irrational behaviors and Mm. still plan against them. So Mm. as much as people won't accept that they are doing it and that it's irrational, you can still design for it and be aware of it. And it's fascinating, fascinating Mm. book. Predictably irrational. What you got, bruh? I don't have any book suggestions. The only one that I... Actually, none of the ones that you guys have mentioned other than Weapons of Math Destruction are the ones that I've consumed. But I'm going to check out Predictably Irrational. Yeah. I like that. Sapiens. Weren't you just reading Sapiens? I am reading Sapiens That's at the a moment. Good one. I'm only like four or five hours in it. I mean, yeah. I mean, did, are you just saying general book no. recommendations? Like, yeah, no. I can give you book? shit. Or, behavioral I think you're talking about though. fucking like yeah, beha- analytics. Behavioral. 
behavioral books. Yeah, oh, for sure. Sapiens is incredibly fucking um Because to me that's what it, interesting. That's what it comes down to. It's about behavior. And yeah. for some reason, again, like us as creators will read these books about behavior and then we'll divorce it from the things we do every day. Yeah. Like I, these books talk about how irrational we are. These books talk about how we desire certain things and then we'll go like, oh, while I'm working, I'll look at this data point and then it'll yeah. be completely divorced from the stuff totally. that I've consumed over here. Well, and I think that's the one thing I love about like Sapiens, just in terms of like, it's a book that helps you think about or uh, helps you learn how to think because he offers a ton of non-intuitive explanations to behaviors that we have as human beings. And I think that that you can take away as a how to think about, you know, trends that you're seeing there may be a ton of non-intuitive explanations that you should consider um, that inform things. The only thing I want to add now is, <laughs> and this is a break, going. but from the talk, and this is the thing I got like the biggest reaction from, and I always get the biggest reaction from this, is the eye tracking technology. Oh, yeah. And looking at, so the example is you look at this ad of a woman, shampoo bottle, and copy. And when you do eye tracking technology, Everyone's looking at the woman and they're looking at the copy, but no one's looking at the shampoo bottle. And in marketing, you want to make sure they see the shampoo bottle so that they recognize it in store. So how do we make somebody look at the shampoo bottle? They did two tests, one with a model, one with a model who was looking at the shampoo bottle herself. And the difference it makes in how people perceive that ad and how much people look at the shampoo bottle just because they follow what she's looking at is unbelievable and is a, a simple irrational weird thing that we as humans we like to look at what other people are looking at and it actually it's, there's an evolutionary reason which yeah. is i'm afraid of what she might be looking at mm -hmm. so i should make sure that there's nothing scary going on exactly. over there so like just that little thing of like using someone else's eyes to guide what your consumer does yeah is like a mind-blowing thing that you can do in design but you can also prove out in data well, it's crazy. Like, I mean, there's there's the social explanation, and then there's the pattern recognition. Like, you can put to the elbow line of sight that will guide your eye somewhere. Like, there's more than one explanation for how you get people to do some sort of a behavior. So, it's kind of crazy. Anyway, we're gonna end this now. Yeah. All right. But anyways, that's it. <laughs> Thanks hey, for tuning in. <laughs> Much love. She said that was my first time in my head. Shawty played the Trinity light bitch on the back.